Euro 2022 has been full of goals, excitement and fun. But there haven't been many shocks so far. The big guns have all made it through to the last eight. So whoever's going to win this tournament is going to have to do it the hard way. We've already released a show focusing on England against Spain. If you haven't heard it, what were you doing? But you do have that to look forward to. But on this show, it's time to focus on Germany, France, Sweden, the Netherlands and a couple of other quality sides. I'm Kevin Hatchard and this is Women's Euros Only Better. When she's not damaging her leg, doing a late-night knee slide, it's easy for me to say, she's firing out winners left, right and centre. The multi-talented Abigail Davis is with me once again. Abby, we're going to get straight to it. Thursday's quarter-final, Germany against Austria. Germany, the favourites at 2-7, to seven, absolutely right, because they motored their way through the group stage. 4-0 against Denmark, 2-0 over Spain, 3-0 over Finland, there were lots of question marks. Everybody wondered about the defensive side of it, wondered about Merle Fromes as the goalkeeper. They've answered all of those and more. Yeah, absolutely. And they were kind of, you know, we were questioning because it's such a youthful side coming into this. We were questioning whether they were ready to take over women's football once more, you know, whether they were ready to be that dominant force. And there are certainly signs. You look at that group that they've just come from with a 100% record. You know, we were looking at that group thinking three of the four sides could probably have qualified from that and in any in any order. Um, but Pop is having a wonderful time of it in her debut European Championship. She, of course, missed out in 2013 and 2017 through injury. But she is making up for that now. Three goals in the three games that she's played, following in the footsteps of Beth Mead, all aboard the Beth Mead love train. And Quite despite, right. <laughs> despite you know, struggling to break the deadlock early on, Germany missed a number of really, really good chances early on. But they maintained that tempo. They didn't get frustrated, which I think has maybe been a criticism in previous tournaments. But they did break the deadlock just before halftime. But I'm not making this game as plain sailing and as clear cut as the odds suggest. I think Austria are, are experienced. They've got quality. They're so well organised defensively. So, so tough to break down. And and it's going to be a test for Germany. Sometimes, as I've just mentioned, sometimes when they're, they're not able to create those chances and they're being frustrated in games, their tempo can drop and things, things can seem a little bit laboured for them. So I do think... Austria can cause them problems. They can frustrate them. And, you know, they've shown that they're really good at winning the ball back high up the pitch. This could be a really, really nice... And there could be a nice pace to this game. And I think it could be a lot more even than the odds suggest. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because I guess, Abby, what we've seen before is Germany pressing teams... Whereas Austria will just say, well, OK, well, we'll sit, we'll be organised and that press won't be as as effective because Austria won't be as expansive. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you look at Austria then when they try and catch them on the counter, you've got someone in Nicole Bia who not only has she 
proven me right yet again with another goal. <laughs> of course. Abby <laughs> but, is know, flying with the tips. She is, you know, the girl that Austria turned to when they are in need of a goal. And I think she is going to be crucial in this one. She's, I think she's 10 to 3 to get on the score sheet in that match. And I think if you do fancy Austria to get on the score sheet, she is the one I'd be back in at 10 to 3. I think they are fantastic gods for someone who is in such good form. She was, of course, the player of the year in the Bundesliga in 2021, winning the Golden Boot. I think she had 23 goals. And she is, without a doubt, the most important Austrian player in that final third. So, I yeah, I wouldn't rule them out. And I do think that they'll at least get a goal. Um, they showed against Germany that they are so good at nullifying that threat of their opponents. Like you just said, Germany, when they are pushing forward, when they are playing high up the pitch, Austria, I do feel they will be better equipped to nullify that threat. Um, you know, we saw them again against in that Norway game. They just sap a team's confidence, don't yeah. they? They're so good at doing that. And of course, it'll be different in this one. But as I said, I think it will be a closer contest than, than many think. Like Abby, reporter and presenter Eleanor Lee has been zooming all over the place covering the tournament. Eleanor, Germany looking very, very good. Hagering excellent at the back. I did want to touch on uh, Merle Fromes, actually, the goalkeeper, because people looked at that and thought, well, she's very young relatively to the other options they have. But she's been rock solid so far. She hasn't had many saves to make, but when she's had to make them, she's been brilliant. Yeah, when she's been needed, she's shown up and, and she's done what's done what's needed to be done. And, and a lot of people said that about quite a few members of, of the Germany squad, really. I remember me and Abby on, the, on this first episode that we said, all oh, Germany, they're quite a young, perhaps novice squad. How are they going to do? But the way they've come together, I think... Um, is extraordinary and they're really cementing themselves not only as favourites but as kind of again re-emerging as one of the I think they're going to come out of this tournament as one of the kind of best teams in in the world of women's football again and, and people are really going to be talking about Germany again I think I know Abby's already touched on her but looking to Alexandra Pop we she's just she's just fantastic and the fact that this is her first Euros she's the she seems to be the one cementing this squad together she is making Germany stronger um I actually wrote a profile piece on her right before the right before the tournament started and a lot of her teammates were saying just how pop is not afraid to tell you how it is and she is she is that kind of captain that if there's been a mistake made she will let you know what she thinks and how this needs to be moved um to become better so I think she is the complete glue um holding this kind of young talented exciting squad together and what a matchup that's been so far yes i think austria are going to be perhaps one of their bigger challenges purely because how well set up they are we've already said how how greatly organized they are i think they're actually going to find austria a lot more difficult than they found spain spain played in a way that invited germany in and germany were able to just infiltrate that but yeah, it's going to be such a great match. Such a great matchup between the two sides. I'm excited for it. Yeah, and if you do think Austria could keep it close, of course, you could look at the Asian handicap market. You could maybe give Austria a goal start on that and you only lose if Austria lose by a couple of goals. If they only lose by one, uh, then you get your stake back. If the game is level or indeed Austria win, then you'd have a full payout there. It's worth bearing in mind you can check out the Betfair Boost where you can boost the odds on our already boosted Euro selections each day of the tournament with the tokens in your bet slip. T's and C's in the description, 18 
plus cgambleaware.org. Now, Friday's quarterfinal is the only one we don't have a full lineup for at time of recording, but we do know that Sweden are through. They'll face either Italy, Belgium, or Iceland. I tip Sweden at 9.5 on the exchange pre-tournament to win it. They're now into 6.4. They're a little bit shorter than that on the sports book. And Abby, I don't actually think we've seen anywhere near what Sweden are capable of yet. They're going to be favourites in that quarterfinal whoever they face. And given the performances of Belgium, of Iceland, who have impressed but are not a top team, and Italy, I can't really see any of those three knocking Sweden over in the quarterfinals. Not at all. And it's quite terrifying, isn't it, that we know that there is so much more to come from yeah. this Swedish side. You know, they've they've maintained that perfect record of reaching the knockout stage of every single European championship. And that consistency over a long period of time epitomizes what they're like as a team as well because they do have that consistency they do have quality experience throughout that side and I know we've mentioned it previously that you know they might not have that standout player but they have a group of players who come together play their best stuff for their country and you know of course it'll be interesting to see who they're facing because the potential opponents offer different things I think Iceland, as we've mentioned previously, are very, very good at pressing a team high up the pitch. They showed that against Belgium. Belgium, I was at their game against France, and I know we'll we'll speak about that a little bit later on when we get on to talking about France, but Belgium, they grew into that second half, and despite France throwing the kitchen sink at them, you know, they, they did kind of weather that storm a little bit and they did try and influence the game a bit more in the second 45. So Yeah, they hung in there, didn't they, in yeah. that game? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Whilst it was, you know, you thought that first half from France was, you know, it was quite relentless. But the way they just... And I thought they, they actually learned quite a lot and the way they came out in the second half and kind of managed that French threat a little bit more because France, the movement of that front three was absolutely incredible, but they did start to cotton onto it in the second half and deal with it slightly better. But yeah, they've got so many, Aslani was, you know, we know she was the player of the match, but her link up play, her understanding with the front three in that last match, it was so clear to see throughout, throughout the game. And, the dangerous deliveries from from dead ball situations, her first touch, her vision, and just the way she she floats around. I feel like we've said it about Peniel Harder. I feel like she's one of those players that you really benefit from watching live and seeing, you know, seeing her outside of what you see on the camera and just seeing her movement off the ball and just seeing yeah. how she floats into those pockets of space. The, the way she connects the play up is so so crucial. Um, it's yeah. She she's provided. I think she's provided an assist in all three group games. So when that market is open, of course it won't yeah. be until we know who they're playing. I would certainly be looking to back her in the anytime assist, or indeed the the to score or assist market. Well, she scored I think. a penalty, didn't she? In yeah, the, in the yeah. last game. Yeah, she, she's been brilliant. We forget sometimes, I guess, that it's supposed to be entertainment. And she is a real entertainer. Like in those tight spaces, when she'll like go past the defender or do a quick turn and your jaw drops and you go, oh, wow. <laughs> so she's been excellent. Eleanor, what I found quite intriguing about that last game against Portugal 
and Portugal, as we know, can't defend a set play to save their lives. They're they're so good to watch, but terrible at the defensive basics. But I thought what was really fascinating was that Carolina Zager, who's, who's such an important player for Sweden, so experienced, well over 200 caps, was injured. Angeldahl played and played really well. I mean, she would probably be in that team anyway, but they've got players who can come in. Blackstenius hasn't started every game, but she played up front in the final group game. They've got lots of options. Talked about England's depth. Sweden have got that as well. Yeah, I was literally just about to liken them to England. So you've done it for me there. Well done. <laughs> Teed me up nicely. The 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 depth they have, and, and Abby's already touched on it, they are this complete outfit. And yes, they might not have the out the kind of outstanding one name that's known worldwide, but they are this complete force in almost every single area of the pitch and no matter who is coming in for them, who who is filling a role that perhaps someone else has had to had to step back from, you're really, really confident in watching them in their ability to to get a result. Yes, Portugal perhaps aren't aren't the best uh, team to look at and 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 analyze. But not defensively that, anyway. Not defensively in terms of against Sweden. That was all due respect to Portugal. I was really, really cheering on the underdog um, this this tournament. But the fact that I think three of their goals against Portugal came from set pieces plus the penalty, it just shows you, yes, we've already touched on, perhaps Portugal didn't have the best defensive setup, but just how clinical Sweden can be. And they yeah, are teams yeah. that we've seen teams in this tournament that perhaps aren't taking their chances in front of goal. Sweden aren't one of those. They are They are 100% going to make sure that everything counts. Um, and also, what a strike from Vaxanius to, to make it five at, at the end. That was just, just, they are so good to watch. Um, and a lot of people before the tournament weren't really talking much about Sweden, which I found really, really strange because they are so consistently good when yeah. it comes to these these major tournaments. So I have no doubt that no matter who they get draw, drawn up against, I, I think they're going to get the job done. I really do. And if they do, Abby, it's England or Spain in the semis. So, I mean, we've we've talked about this all the way through. If you are going to win this thing, you are not going to have it easy. You're going to have tough game after tough game after tough game. Whoever's, whoever wins this is going to have really deserved it. Yeah, most definitely. But I think you look at... This is where you come back to England's route to this point. And again, where I personally don't think they'll be tested that much against Spain. I think, of course, it's going to be a very different game. But I, I think they'll... I think they'll breeze through it and it'll come to if they do face Sweden, which I think they, they probably will, that will be their biggest test and their first real test. And I think Sweden, for me, are the only side that can stop England from going all the way this summer. Um, I think they're definitely the two sides who are the closest to being that complete outfit. I think where you look at them, you look at both of them, where are the vulnerabilities? Where are the weaknesses? And I don't see any in either of those sides. So I think it could be one of those where they end up just cancelling each other out. Yeah, it could, because, could go all the way, couldn't it? You could absolutely. see that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But I think, you know, it's one of those... It's, it's further proof that Swedish performance was further proof because we've spoken about them being resilient. We've spoken about that robust defending and being solid and well-organised. But as we've just mentioned, they're such a joy to watch going forward as well. And I think that sometimes gets forgotten with this Swedish side because there is that emphasis on how solid they are and how 
well equipped they are at the back. I mean, I wish I had anything in my life as well organised as Sweden have their back line. I think I'd be doing all right for myself. Yeah, I, I think I'd go along with that as well. <laughs> I could do with a bit of Swedish organisation. Uh, the last quarterfinal is arguably the tie of the round, to be honest. You've got France against the Netherlands. Now, at time of recording, France haven't played out their third game, but they qualified as group winners anyway with a game to spare. They haven't had their blow-up yet, but the pressure really ramps up now. Eleanor, not only that, that kind of bubbling in the background, all the talks about that. The whole narrative is, when are they going to blow up? Are they going to blow up? They're probably going to blow up, aren't they? It's going to happen. So not only that, but they're also without their best forward, one of the best forwards in the world in Marie Antoinette Katoto, who has an ACL problem. A lot of ACL injuries at the moment, which is a real shame. So she's out. What damage does that do? Yeah, it really does damage them. And it's whether that's going to then upset them further that can lead to that blow up that me and Abby are patiently waiting for considering yeah, that we're coming <laughs> growing more and more impatient to be honest yeah <laughs> I reckon Corinne Diacra shows them these yeah. these shows definitely look they're waiting for you to fail don't let it happen we were we were so eager to kind of jump on jump on the France are doing nothing in this tournament train um and yeah, that's that's blown up in our face so far. But no, I think the thing is, again, it's one of those things where not only is it going to disrupt their play physically, it's also what does that do to the team mentally? Do they do they then start to do they then worry? Do they panic? Or what's going on in their mind? But I think this is probably going to be one of the tastiest quarterfinals that we've actually got. Um, I don't think we've seen the best of Netherlands this tournament. No, nowhere near. They've been good. Um, they've got the job done. But my goodness, they are so much more capable of of excelling beyond what they've done. Um, be nice to see Miedemar back. I mean, it, it's a shame that kind of, like you say, there's been there's been injuries, there's been COVID as well. So it is a shame. It's one of those things that we have to deal with. But um, yeah, God, it's going to be, it's, it's, I can't call this one. And I think all the others I can kind of call. And this one is the one where I'm scratching my head going, is it going to be the time that everything goes wrong for France? Are Netherlands going to turn up? It, it's It's a really difficult one. I think that's our route in from a betting perspective here because we've seen the odds and the match odds show you that France are odds on here at four to six. I think that's too short. I think these two sides are a lot closer together in terms of quality than that. And I think if we don't know at the moment if Miedemar will be back, we don't know what kind of shape she'll be in. She's missed the last couple of games with COVID. But they do have depth in that attacking area. Obviously not of the quality of Miedemar. She's one of the best players in the world. But... They do post threats, Abby, from elsewhere. We've seen Daniela Fontadonk score an absolutely superb goal against Portugal. They've got quality from set plays. They are a danger in France, regardless of how they've done in the group stage, do feel short to me at odds on. Yeah, I think touching on that Katoto injury as well, it was I thought it was quite impressive the way they dealt with it when she did go off because they didn't really let that impact the flow of the game. In that first yeah. half, I thought Diani, she came so close, didn't she, to double in their lead and the keeper had to pull off that instinctive save, which then rebounded onto the crossbar. But I just thought the way they handled that and the way they adapted, especially in the first half, was incredibly impressive. They were dominant. They they started on the front foot and controlled the tempo of that first half. Diani, as I mentioned, 
the threat that she posed down that right-hand side. She's fun, isn't she? Oh, my gosh. She's She's really good fun. She's so enjoyable, almost as enjoyable as I actually covered that game and I had French commentators sat next to me. And after the first goal, they were the typical go, 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 go people. And, you know, they were so animated. But I did say during commentary as well that I made eye contact with them whilst the VAR check was being made. And it was the worst thing I ever did in my life because I've ever done in my life, sorry, because they just weren't ready for eye contact at that moment in time. It was (laughs) nil-nil. There was a VAR check. They were not okay. They were not dealing with things very well. But do you know what? They were just... You mentioned fun. That's what they were in that first half. It was such a joy to watch. And, you know, as we continue to say on this podcast, it's because of the togetherness and the unbridled love this squad has for one another. That is why they, you know, that why they're enjoying such success. But now I think the telling thing with France was in that second half, they eased up a bit, but the better Belgium got defensively as well, and the the harder France found it to break them down, we saw a few like lethargic efforts from outside the area, as if like they didn't really care. And you know, we saw with the Belgian goal, there was a bit of a mix-up defensively, and it just seemed like they with the Italy game, they got the job done in the first half, and not having such a commanding lead in that Belgian game they still switched off in the same manner without having that commanding advantage. And I think that then was more evident and, you know, it was more obvious to see that breakdown. But the centre-backs didn't seem to have the greatest of understanding with the keeper. And we have to mention it, that Wendy Renard penalty miss, I still cannot believe it. But especially for, you know, the the fragile masculinity crew who might be watching out there, that you know, she's the first player to ever miss a penalty and miss from the rebound. I know it was a shocker, but of course we have to mention that no male footballer has ever done anything. I think like we've that. seen a fair few dreadful penalties in the men's game. <laughs> exactly. I, th- I think what I liked about that was that when people started talking about the Renard penalty and the, and the rebound, um, people instantly put up that mess between Henri <laughs> and Pires. Yeah. So although that was great, yeah, 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 I think we've seen this in the men's game yeah. as yeah. well. Elena, there are loads of... We shouldn't... As much as I think France are too short at odds on, they are a great side. I love the click down the left-hand side between uh, Koshawi and Cascarino. They've got such a good little link-up. And Cascarino is just, a, again, a really fun player, always looking to make something happen, run at people, get a shot away. She's just a really good player. Yeah, she is a joy to watch. And the thing about France is that... I mean, they get the basics done. They can score goals. They're not struggling um, there. Yes, their heads might drop when things aren't going their way. They might get a little bit frustrated. But we've seen, I mean, against, I know Italy were not on it that day, but we saw how they were able to to score goals. And the thing is, when Netherlands played, I think it was Switzerland, Switzerland did manage to open them up at points. And they, and they really did, especially when they, they got their goal away. So the fact that Switzerland were able to, to open... Um, the, the Dutch side up and we know how ruthless France can be that can be really where where France in, infiltrate the Netherlands kind of game plan and, and get the job done because we know that they can find the back of the net and if the Netherlands are going to let themselves be opened up as, as easily as Switzerland were perhaps finding it then that's going to be where um, where France could win the game. I think the Netherlands have got quite a few questions that need answering ahead of that match as well because 
you look at how the substitutes transformed the game and got them out of trouble against Switzerland. And you just wonder, because in all three group games, of course, they've had, they had Viv Miedemar in the first game. And whether she comes back or not, I don't think Mark Parsons has been... He's not committed, has he? You know, we saw the video that Viv posted of her birthday celebrations where they were all just sending balloons up to her room and we don't know whether she'll be in a position to feature. But you can't just keep sticking with the same starting eleven and expecting it to somehow change when it's just not working at the moment, in my opinion. And I think, you know, you look at Brutes, who, in my opinion, she could be the wild card. In this well, played match. really think, well against the Swiss. Absolutely. Really well. And I think, you know, she operates, of course, she can play as a number 10 out wide. And I think the impression she's made since making her debut, of course, that's part of the reason she's part of this, this squad. But I think she could play a huge part. And I think Parsons has such a big dilemma because do you go with the substitutes who looked so much brighter so fresh they were creating chances they they just looked hungry for success which you couldn't really say in the first half so I just wonder whether he's going to switch that up a bit in order to to cause those problems from the outset. Abby this feels like there could be a few goals in this doesn't it I think I think both teams are best when they're on the front foot I don't think either of convinced defensively particularly they've got fullbacks who like to go forwards I, th- I think there's going to be a lot of space to play isn't there absolutely I mean looking at over 3.5 goals at seven to four I'd yeah, be I tempted I'd be tempted by that because as you said both sides much better when they're on the front foot Netherlands in particular so so vulnerable at the back and I think the way that France can exploit that even with some of the best defenses in the world if I was a Netherlands defender, I might be pulling my hamstring before even getting out <laughs> onto that pitch. I think I'd be doing a knee slide just to yes. uh, just to possibly injure myself in the hope that I wouldn't have to come up against that France front three. But yeah, over three point five goals at seven to four. I think that's a a very nice looking bet. Elena, just once around this off then. We've talked a lot about Corinne Diacre and France and, and how isolating she can be, how cold she can be. I was just looking at the kind of body language after the Netherlands won their final game against Switzerland. There was that little kind of tete-a-tete between Jill Roard and Mark Parsons, the coach, where she said, oh, he talks too much. The, you know, Serena Wiegmann, predecessor, was straight to the point. We knew exactly what we needed to do he's a lot more kind of, he talks to you about lots of different things. So there's that kind of, that just hinted at a bit of a disconnect there between his approach. And I looked at that final game and he kind of stood alone and none of the players really went up to him that much. And that might just be me reading into things wrongly completely, but that doesn't quite seem 100% settled, that relationship between coach and players. No, I think he's that they've struggled to find that harmony. And whereas you look at England and, and Serena Wiegmann's come in and they found it almost instantly in that setup. And obviously they are going, as, as their former manager, they're going to be looking at, at what she's now got with England thinking, well, God, that was us a few years ago. Why haven't we clicked like that yet? And, yes, and that's hard for him, isn't it? Because it's the whole supply... 
it's yeah. the supply teacher thing, isn't exactly. it? The supply comes in and you're like, oh, yeah. we'll mess about here. It's like, yeah. oh, I, I could do with having an airbag. But look, it might not be like that at all behind the scenes. But especially when you're hearing things, as a manager, you, you, you don't want to hear your players perhaps disagreeing or not not being you want to keep everything in you want to keep everything away from the media you don't want speculation because that just heightens everything else going on so the fact that we've already had that perhaps that's almost correlating into some of their performances they haven't been on their mark what's going on behind the scenes things aren't gluing together yet and that's not to say that that won't come But for this tournament so far, they don't feel harmonious yet. They don't feel like like everything works as it should be. It's not not the well-oiled machine that we perhaps knew of Netherlands a few years ago. Not yet, anyway. And just finally, I think I did say in the last podcast that replacing Serena Wiegmann is as hard as replacing a Chuckle Brother. And I think that is proven to be the case. Yes, uh, and, and I'm waiting for the day when Parsons gets asked about that in a press conference <laughs> because that would be the highlight of the tournament. It's going to be fun on Saturday. You've got all kinds of psychodrama and angst. That's exactly the way we like it. That's all we have time for on this edition of Women's Euros Only Better. Please do remember to gamble responsibly. Remember, every single game is previewed on our website, betting.betfair.com. From Eleanor, from Abby, and from me, it's goodbye for now.